Patrick Hooch from the Carlton Footy Club. You listen to the coaches panel. Dane Zorko here from the Brisbane Lions. Jason Johannesson from the Western Bulldogs. Luke Parker here from the Sydney Swans. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows, and you're listening to the coaches panel. Maxwell and Melbourne Football Club. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club, and you're listening to the coaches panel. Hey friends, you got MJ from the coaches panel. I hope you're well, and welcome to a quick little pop-up podcast. I want to talk to you this afternoon, this morning, this evening, whenever you're listening. Uh, AFL fantasy is what we're looking to have a conversation about today, but specifically about 10 premiums that in AFL fantasy, uh, as I look at their ownership numbers, I find myself considering, wow, why are they so low and why are we not looking at them? Because if we're honest, whether it's because you listen to the coaches panel or any of a number of vast array of incredible content creators that talk about AFL fantasy, we sometimes can fall into the trap of a little bit of groupthink. We let either ownership or our, our favorite content creator, their social media post, a video, podcast, whatever it actually is, kind of sway us into not just picking certain players, but not even considering players. With the match simulations underway for your Thursday and Friday, different players will pop up under the radar that are currently not seen. Others will jump up. Those that are popular might not get the role. But today on the podcast, and there's a correlating article at coachespanel.tv, I thought I'd share with you 10 players in AFL Fantasy that are premiums and have some crazy low ownership. Let's look at the number one player. And by the way, you're riding solo with me on this episode today. Isaac Cumming, defensive eligible option, just at the 1.2% of ownership. Criminally low ownership, considering he's one of a few defenders that we've got that has gone back-to-back with averages of 90 over the past two seasons. He really is, to me, one of the best and the modern-day defenders. He's fast. He's really well-skilled. Really strong overhead with his marks. And he doesn't let his opposing forward get away from him or impact the game too much. So a beautifully rounded player. So why is a guy that's got back-to-back 90s, got some nice ceiling with 120s, 130s over the past two years through there, why is his ownership so low? I think it's for a couple of reasons. Number one, um, he's already got a really big chunk of his scoring coming from kick-ins. Last year, he had 129, and he played on from 90% of these. The very next best giant was Harry Himmelberg with 56. So if Cumming either has his role split through not getting as many kick-ins or he roll shares, let alone loses it entirely, these are points that in AFL fantasy, we've been banking on getting three, six, nine points per game through kick-ins alone. If he loses that, all of a sudden he drops from a low 90 guy all of a sudden to a mid-80s to even worse, a low-80s guy. And that really is the challenge. The other thing that I think is a reason why coaches are fading on him a little bit is Adam Kingsley and even Lockie Whitfield himself has come out just in the past week and confirmed that Lockie's moving back to the halfback line. And as good as a user as coming is, it it's tough when you've got two really elite decision makers with the ball in hand to not use them both. Isaac had a really good lion's share last year with with Lockie in there. Okay, it's it's not as one-dimensional anymore. There is now multitudes and other avenues. At his price point at 802000 uh, people are choosing 
to go for Dacos and Young, not just because they're more popular, but because the narrative is probably easier to believe of how they get up towards of 100. Young, for example, isn't getting the kick-ins historically, but appears to be, at least before the match simulation when this is being recorded, appears to be getting it in the preseason and the match simulations that the club do against each other. Itself. While Nick Dacos getting a decent amount of bump through the midfield. Yep, second year blues is real deal. But Dacos does have this look and smell, at least from a community perspective, that he might be able to pop up and above what has been a narrative through there. And then I think the last thing is this. To make him really worthwhile, he doesn't just have to go with the likes of Dacos and Young. He, he probably needs to go past them. Which means we're talking about a guy that's going at an average of 100. Um, and the reason I say he's got to go past them is because he's more expensive than them. So all of a sudden, I can see why people are going, ah, oh, rather the younger guys that I think could go comparable or better. Or I'd rather pay up a little bit to get the Doherty or the Jordan Dawson. So is he a nice pick? I, I think he's beautiful for drafts, but 1.2% ownership is a criminally low. On paper, yes, but in understanding it, not so much. Next player I want to talk about with 2% ownership is Mitch Duncan. Just last year, he averaged 92.5 across the format. He's one of the new defenders that we've gained this year after losing a bunch of them from champion data. Six tons last year, including a 124 and a 138, and three extra scores 90 plus, while he's scoring dip below 70 in just two occasions. There is a podcast that wherever you've streamed and downloaded this from, you can go and check out a bit more detail and thoughts around Mitch Duncan. But again, the reason he's so low in ownership, I, I'm purely speculating, but I think it's a lot to do with that Geelong resting rotation. Because he's got as good a 120 ceiling as just about anyone else, probably with the exception of Sam Doherty in our back lines that we currently have. So I think people are going, oh, oh, oh I, don't, I don't know. He's going to get rested. But in AFL Fantasy, we've got something like 50 trades that we can use this year. So if anything, the resting rotation should be a reason to think even higher that this guy is an option. He's proven. Um, he doesn't have to be a seasonal hold for you. The fact that he's about 150, 160K cheaper than Doc means he could be a really nice stepping stone into Sam Doherty or into a Jordan Dawson or once you get some visibility on Sinclair. I know there's some uncertainty about the Geelong rest, and, and that's understandable, but in AFL Fantasy, more than any other format, that shouldn't be a concern. The moment you see that laid out, the moment you see that rest that will come for these older guys, you can absolutely flick the switch on it. So for me, Duncan should be in the consideration, but I also understand why he's only at 2%. Next up, Callum Mills. Midfield eligible. This is ridiculous. 4% ownership. Last year, he was only 30 points shy of being the number one point scorer last year. Just 30 points shy, and he did this coming off the back of no preseason and some calf concerns that were limiting clearly his preseason. Here's the reason why people aren't looking at Callum Mills seriously. I can't trust his role. We saw from round 15 onwards happily squeeze into the CBAs and the person that made the most way for it from Sydney was Callum Mills because over the first 13 rounds he averaged 113 but from round 15 onwards 
He had that nine-week stretch where he went at 107. Again, that's not horrible, but at a 110, 111 average, you need him to maintain, let alone any thought of going up. The risk isn't that he moved to the back line, although that's still been mooted, that he would be the safety net. It was when he gets squeezed out to the wing. Here's the thing with Mills. If you could guarantee he's going to be a 75%, 72% CBA midfield guy, he's the number one scoring guy in the comp. He's so hard to stop. He marks, he kicks, he's got elite work rate, he gets into space, he tackles, um, he does everything really well that we want in AFL Fantasy, and he's so hard to tag, and even if you're tagging Sydney, the most damaging possession player is Chad Warner. So you're not going to shut down Mills if you're going to go and shut down anybody. So, so for me, the only reason I can fathom that his ownership is so low is simply because of this. There's enough concern in your heart that he won't stay in that CBA role. And you're hoping that he drops in value so that by the time you do trade into him, because I think most coaches for us in AFL Fantasy would like to have Mills at some point, you're hoping that he's at enough value that it represents little to no risk should the positional variance pop. For me, I'm really going to be watching his um, early season in terms of what the Sydney Swans look to do with that rotation. I, I know the risk will always be there, but for me, it'll be much more around what happens with how they use Papley. How does this all sit and structure together? Because I think Mills will be no less than a 105 mid. I, I can't see a world where he fades under that. But he's got the upside to go 115, 120. He's a really nice point of difference. Um, it's risky because you don't really want to trade him out. But he's the kind of guy that if you can live with the downside, five, six points per game of drop for a five to six points per game of upside might not be for everyone, but you should at least be considering him. Next player up into the list is Zach Merritt, the new Essendon skipper. Surprising one, this one, just 6.4% ownership. Here's my prediction around Zach. Um, if he pops a 110-plus score in both of the preseason matches, now the official and the unofficial match simulations, uh, in terms of a points per minute, because he might not play all that style, but if he shows people and reminds people once again, oh, he's just an ever-safe 105 guy, watch that ownership spike. If he goes a 120 or a 130... Watch everyone jump on and go, ah, oh, that's right. Because since 2016, he's averaged over 100, and four seasons of those were over 110. Last year, he was seventh for midfielders by average, ninth across the format by average as well. So um, for me, I, I just, I don't understand why he's not in the consideration as much for other people. Generally a pretty solid captaincy option. Now the captain in the literal sense for the Essendon Football Club, safe as houses. Now, the reason why I think people are avoiding him is this. It always comes the odd tag for Zach. And there's a couple of quiet weeks in there, and he somehow every season finds his way to be a value option to trade into. And then he goes on this hot stretch. So I think that's what coaches are, are anticipating again. But the reality is, even last year, just two scores under 80 Six scores over 120, three over, uh, two over 130, a bunch, I think it was a dozen over 100. 
he is one of the safest 100 guys we can get for us this year. He's not the cheapest that we've ever had him, but genuinely, if you just want a safe, durable, reliable guy at M1 or M2 in your starting squad, man, Zach's flying under the radar a little more than maybe he should. Bailey Smith's my next guy in at 6.3% of ownership. I think what makes Bailey such a really intriguing option is he's just got this incredible balance of work rate and endurance. And it's these elements along with his really good field kick, burst of speed, uncontested and contested footy that just really makes him this beautiful midfielder that can work off the half forward flank into the contest, off the wing into the contest. And then when he's in the contest find a way to create space for himself and his teammates. He started last year on absolute fire. First 10 rounds going at 118, and that's why coaches are excited. He's got incredible ceiling, 154, 131, 147, were his three top scores of the year. And before his uh, suspensions and the odd little niggly variable injury, um, he was in that first 10 weeks, the hottest midfielder from a fantasy perspective going around in the game. The concern I think people have is just around some limitations around his preseason that as many hasn't been able to participate in all the intra-clubs and things of that nature. But again, he's the kind of guy that he pops a big score. He shows that inside midfield role. If he's picking up some of the additional Dunkley departed minutes, then for me, I can see him really, really pop. At worst, he's going to be what his average is at, which is that low hundreds guy. Because remember, that's baked in a lot of delay to the back end of the year. You could tell he just wasn't quite himself. Uh, a Multiple different suspensions that were given to him, one for on-field and one for off-field behavior. So for me, he's just sliding beautifully under the radar. And, and there's this weird thought in the midfield at the moment. I think if you ask 10 different fantasy experts, whether they be from the coaches panel or elsewhere, who are the top eight to 10 midfielders this year? I think there's a pretty strong consensus that within the top three, most people would say Rory Laird. That's not to say it's wrong or right, but I, that, that's a community consensus. But even just within the top five, you wouldn't find a universal bunch of names, even amongst the top 10. You, you might end up with this list of about 25 options that could roll through there. Bailey's in the conversation, needs to be in the conversation as one of the potential top five midfielders in the comp. He's got the scoring upside that with the right role, with the right headspace, and with his body doing the things that it has done historically, this guy could be an absolute beast for us. Next in, another midfielder, and he's got the lowest ownership of anyone on this list of 10 AFL fantasy premiums with criminally low ownership. Brad Crouch, 0.4% ownership. If I had told you this, there's a player that last year scored 13 tons. He averaged 126.5 in the last four weeks of the year and was top 12 in AFL fantasy for points and averages last year, would you be interested in owning them? Oh, look, you'd at the very least go, oh, yeah. You might not go, oh, yeah, lock, but you'd go, oh, yeah. And yet, for some reason, Brad Crouch, who achieved these things, people aren't even looking. Now, I'm not saying you have to have him. <laughs> not at all. And I'll tell you why I think people are overlooking him if they do look at him. 
But I think people are just overlooking because of his name. Um, the injury thing is long gone. Um, that That is of years gone by at Adelaide. That is a long gone narrative now. That's no longer a concern. Uh, but I think people, if you look at the data or you look at the name, sometimes name value does sway us. We've just got to be honest about that. But I think when you do look at Brad, then the reasoning for why you're fading him should appear. But if it's just because, oh yeah, it's Brad Crouch, it's not enough. Once you look at the data, then it should start to tell you why. For example, if you're forking out over 940k, which is in AFL fantasy, he's got to be this, a weekly VC or C option in your starting squad. Really simply, in your starting squad, you've got three, maybe four, you could feel safe enough to put it on of the first four or five weeks. The reality is, with Crouch, last year he went over 120 in just five games. And since becoming a Saint, that's 41 matches. He's only done it on nine occasions. So there's probably not the volume of 120-plus scores over his career as a Saint that gives me the confidence that as a starting option, I want to make space for him. Look, I love Brad as a person, as a footballer, uh, and for draft. But as a classic starter in AFL fantasy, I just don't think with that lack of volume of 120s, not so much anything else, is enough of a reason for me why, even with crazy low ownership and amazing scoring from last year, for me it might be more of an upgrade than anything else. Let's talk about a guy that is in my AFL fantasy team. Yep, I told you. Darcy Parrish. 3.2% 3.2% ownership. He broke out in 2021. Over the final 17 games of that year, 11 tons, 7 over 120, and a bunch over 150. While in 2022, before the calf injury midway through last year, he was scoring at a pretty similar rate for two-thirds of the year. Um, between rounds 1 to 11, um, he was going nice. An average of 108.4, including 8 tons and two over 130 in fact between rounds six and 16 in 2021 back to that year um he was going at 127 amazing right for me parish is the guy that depending on your midfield structure and which is ultimately informed by it or the other lines he could be that perfect m2 or m3 um, he's got the upside that's proven to go at a really nice tick of 110 Uh, Last year, there were only five midfielders that went at an average over the year of 110. While in 2021, it was 10. So at best, he'll be a top eight midfielder. At best. At worst, this is what he becomes. He becomes the guy that you pivot to that becomes the 110 midfielder. He's the guy that you can go and get into, is it Tom Green that pops? Is it LDU that pops? Is it Bontempelli or Kelly? He becomes that guy. I know you go, oh, but at almost 900,000, that's a lot. No, it's not. Because what you're wanting to do with that spot is get the value guy between 90 to 100 that's popping the 115 start and is likely 110 for the year. Parrish could be it, but if he's not, he's your ticket to it. Last couple of options before we wrap up this episode. Let's talk about the Rucks, because at 3.1% ownership is Riley O'Brien. What the heck are you doing at R2? 
That's the big dilemma for a lot of people this year. It's one of the few pain points we've got this year. We've got some beautiful value, underpriced premiums, really nice stepping stones, and it looks like some good cash cows. But what are you doing in the rucks? Uh, I think a lot of people have settled on Rowan Marshall, whether it be at R1 or R2, they've settled on Rowan Marshall. 40% of the comp own him. But what are you doing around him? You're paying up for the Tim English? Uh, are you hoping to go a bit more safe and get the premium like a Jared Witts, who will probably hold value and then jump to something else? Can you trust Gorn and Grundy not to eat too much into each other's score? Um, are you getting the halfway house option in Darcy Cameron, who's got ruck forward and has shown us he can go 90 and there's a little bit of fat on the bone? Or are you going a bit further down to Lysette? And hoping that he can hold that role for five weeks and get you into somewhere. Are you going even lower to Draper and hoping that, like other rucks, it all clicks after four or five years in the AFL? Is it Cherry? What are you doing in R2 alongside Rowan Marshall? It's a funny one. One possible solution is Riley O'Brien. Last year, he averaged 93, eight tons, including a 159 against Geelong. But it's not just about the scoring with Rob. Because I think he'll be around the marker of that too. It's the lack of concerns over ruck, sharing, and role. Which a lot of our other top-end rucks, or rucks in general, have. I know there's Kieran Strawn. He's not holding a candle to Rob. Rob's there. And Riley Thilthorpe, maybe one day will be the Crows' number one ruck. He may not be the key position forward. He may be the mobile ruckman that they've been craving for. But he's still only going to be playing a relief role at best to Rob. Rob's strength is his endurance and athleticism. And so he might never get back to that 2020 scoring when he averaged an adjusted 108. But I just can't forecast a world where he falls away from what he's been. And 93 also, which he's done last year, might just be close enough. It might be within five points per game of the top rucks. That the big ruck 115 guys appear to have gone. The Gorn and Grundy era is gone for us. Now, Marshall and English, and maybe someone else could be it. But if it's just around the 100 mark, a 93 at five points per game, that gives you more money to add onto someone else and get you somewhere else, I think some people are sleeping and fading on what he might be able to do for us. All right, last two guys before we wrap up this podcast. And if you are enjoying these little solo pop-up podcasts that are very different to something we've ever done in the preseason, do let us know. We'll try to sneak in a few more over the next couple of weeks before the season starts. Let's talk about Dylan Moore. Forward option, just a touch under 5% ownership. Last year, he was one of the more underrated and unheralded stepping stones that actually moved into premium territory. He averaged 93 over the season, 9 tons, and popped a 129 and a 138 as his biggest scores. But interestingly, his splits was fascinating to me. Over the first seven weeks, where he was barely getting any midfield opportunity, pops an average of 98. In the final 10 games, goes in an average of 100, which did start to pick up some CBAs as the year went on, while he had a weird six weeks in the middle where he went at 76. Okay, well, he's going 100, right? And we're getting value of five, six, seven, eight points per game. He's got the ability to score at either half forward pushing up or as a center bounce midfielder roaming around. There's opportunity there with a young and inexperienced Hawthorne midfield. So why are people not as keen on Dylan Moore? 
Uh, it's probably four names. Rosie, Dunkley, Taranto, Cornelio. The community is desperately trying to find a way to not just get three of those in their starting squads, but all four. And yes, we will pick up potentially some really nice big end forward premiums, but all of them represent potential value based on what they can score when they are allowed to be centre bounce midfielders, which at times at previous clubs um, or under previous coaching regimes have not been able to. It's why people are clamouring for these four, more so than probably more, is not just their upside is greater, but they can be much more damaging at their price point than what more could be. He feels a little more attainable as an upgrade if we need him. So I think that's the dilemma uh, that coaches are facing. We know he can score in any position. We do want to see what his role looks like in the match sims. But I think that's why his ownership isn't as high as what many might have thought it was. I think it's not about him. I think it's about what the other premiums are doing around him. Then the last one. Stay in the forward line, 6.5% ownership, mid-forward, Zach Butters. It's amazing how you can go from being the hottest option 12 months ago in our forward line to rarely being seen. And the thing is, he didn't have a bad season. Yeah, he missed a few weeks with injury and had the bunch of sub-80s, but there is a subconscious and unconscious bias towards not picking Zach. The reality is he was pretty solid last year. Six tons, two over 120. Yeah, a bunch of um, scores under 80. No no problem with that. But um, in his final seven games of the year, we're in an average of 101. So for me, he's got as much upside as anyone else. Um, he could match Connor Rosie uh, in my eyes. I, I don't know if he can get up to what I think the upside of Taranto, Cornelio, and Dunkley is. I don't think he can get 105 plus butters. Um I think Rosie can go 100 to 105, but I think those other three have proven upside of 105, maybe 110. I think Butters might not be able to get up as high as those three, but I think he can get alongside what Connor Rosie does, and he doesn't have to do it with CBAs to be able to get there. So for me, he's he's the forgotten forward, but I, I think outside of the dilemma of the four big forward mids that I mentioned earlier, the other is the fact that he sustained a, a strain, a sprain to his AC joint at training the other week. And so while it doesn't feel anything that's significant, it's just another one of a, oh, that's right, he got injured a bit last year. And it's this subconscious thought that we keep finding ways to do it. Here's the thing about um, Zach Butters for me. It would not surprise me if at some point in time in the year, um, he, he goes 105 for the year. That, w- that wouldn't surprise me if someone said, oh, Zach Butters, top five average forward for the year. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Equally, if he played eight games and had two of them where he was red vested, wouldn't surprise me. And therein lies the challenges around Zach Butters. But who are the guys in AFL Fantasy that you have that are lowly owned but you think just secretly could be really, really big options. Uh, Get in touch with us over social media and let us know who are the premiums in AFL Fantasy that you have in your side that have under 10% ownership. 
You get more podcasts from us in the off-season as we continue to drop them. Strategies, team reveals, and a bunch of other stuff. And articles dropping just about every day at coachespanel.tv. Until we chat to you on another episode, good luck and enjoy the match simulations over these next couple of days.